Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Well, here we go into hour two of Mornings with Carmen here on Faith Radio, just without Carmen again today. She's actually off this week on vacation. I'm Paul, her producer, filling in as host this week here on Faith Radio. And, okay, we we were talking, one of our guests yesterday at about this time was Elizabeth Newman. She and her family recently moved out to Denver, Colorado, and as they were saying, they kind of pick up sports favorites and you know become fans of the the towns they're in and so yeah now they're denver nuggets fans and that kind of paid off didn't it ryan because uh I, I i know you're not the biggest nba guy but they 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 pulled it off yeah good for that sports town i mean they'd never been to a finals in their franchise history and they got it done so as as far as who i would root for as an outside person i would say yeah i'm glad denver won oh you like the uh the newbies and the underdogs well they really, they really you know we underdogs. have to relate to our uh minnesota sports fandom paul where in my <laughs> lifetime they've been nowhere close to winning a title in your lifetime they've I've won a few I've seen twice with but the twins it's, yes it's that's nice baseball. to see some fan bases who haven't had any success in their team's history get to experience that and we just hope someday here maybe at some time with that'll happen with the us. Timberwolves with the Vikings and yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. I get that now <laughs> as far as it I mean it, okay they were playing the heat Miami Heat and you know this is what in four years they've been there twice and yeah yeah, I mean, it, they they were the eight seed, though. I mean, it was an unbelievable run for them. But Denver throughout the season was the deepest, most talented team. They had the best one-two punch in the playoffs. Unbelievable story, Nikola Jokic, who won the MVP from Serbia. So they were the better team. You can be upset if, you know, you're a Miami supporter, but they've won a number of titles. This so. is true. Yeah. This is true. They've, they've been there plenty of times. Okay, how would you feel if this happened? You pick up your phone and you hear... The voice of your daughter screaming for help. This happened to an American mom recently, uh, hearing her daughter sobbing before a man took over and demanding a ransom. No, his her daughter was not abducted or anything like that. It was an AI clone. The abduction was fake. <laughs> One of the biggest perils of artificial intelligence, according to experts, it's the ability to demolish the boundaries between reality and fiction you know, that you hear of deep fake video, well, deep fake audio as well. And there's plenty of uh, fraudsters out there grabbing onto a bunch of cl- AI voice cloning tools online and doing just that. So, again, something to be careful about. AI has brought, brought in a whole bunch of new issues into our world. I mean, yes, we all kind of use some forms of AI when you're doing a Google search or stuff like that. And some can be helpful tools, but the more advanced ones, especially when you get into this voice AI or even the chat GPT has some issues, especially for those working on it. There, I saw another article about artificial intelligence researchers 
are dealing with more emotional mental health issues. The American Psychological Association saying, uh, you know, researchers are feeling more socially disconnected because they're so focused on their work with AI, suffering for higher levels of things like insomnia and other things. So I've become more, Ryan, more of a person that's like, okay, I need to get outside and feel the grass a bit more. Yeah, and I agree with you. I, I spend too much time with my computer, and it's like, okay, instead of instead of computers, I like reading hardcover books, you know, or at mm-hmm. least a hard, you know, not digital book, hard book. Yep. And then get out and enjoy some grass. Yeah. Know, so. Yeah, we only have a few months to do it here where we live, so you got to take <laughs> advantage of it. <laughs> oh, so oh, so true. Well, coming up this hour, um, we'll be looking at. Um, We'll be talking about not just the Bible, but also the fact that the American Bible Society, they do a State of the Bible report every year. And some of the latest reports are out. We'll be talking with Jonathan Blake about that later on as we look at how are Americans engaging in the Bible right now. So we'll look at that. Up next, though, and he just jumped on the line, so happy about this. Uh, you remember Sesame Street? I don't know. Did you ever watch Sesame Street, Ryan? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Did they still, when you were, when I was young, they had this thing, who are the people in your neighborhood? I don't know if they did that during your time. Your impersonations are spot on all the time, Paul. I you, mean, like, that was, that you was, like Ernie? That was, yeah. <laughs> that was pretty good. Yeah, I remember that. Okay, that okay. Bell. Well, yeah. we have a new person in the neighborhood of Faith Radio. His name is Mark Job. You can hear him in the afternoons at uh, 2.30 Central with a program called Bold Steps. And we thought, hey, Hey, let's uh, welcome this new person to the neighborhood and uh, talk to him here and get to know him a bit better. That's coming up next here on Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. Bold Steps. That's a new show here on Faith Radio. Great name. It's also the way to live your life, too. Hey, I'm Paul filling in for Carmen here on Faith Radio. And Mark Job, he's the voice you hear in the afternoons on Faith Radio during a program called Bold Steps. He joins us now here on Mornings with Carmen. Mark, thanks for uh, joining us. We want to get to know the new guy in the neighborhood. Paul, great to be with you today. And I got to tell you, when I was going through reading about you, I was like, Whoa, I want to hear about, because you you are not just the host of Bold Steps, but it sounds like in your life, in your ministry, you've done just that. So let's get to know you a bit better. Now, first off, we got people are going to ask, okay, where'd you grow up? Uh, you know, all that, because you're now a pastor as well as president of Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. You're a pastor of a large church uh, in, in uh, Chicago called New Life Community Church. But before that, who was Mark? <laughs> You know, my parents were missionaries, and so they left this country when I was about six months old. Mm. So I grew up in uh, Costa Rica, Chile, and primarily in Spain. My parents went there when I was six years old. Uh, My dad traveled around on a motorcycle all around Spain, trying to find a city that had no church, no evangelical Protestant church at all. And he found a city of 140,000 people with no evangelical church. And that's where they decided to go. It's called Burgos. We met in a horse stable. (laughs) It was still under Franco at the time. And uh, my father's actually buried outside of the town Mm. that he invested over 20 years trying to reach. Now there's thousands of believers, multiple churches, 
So I feel like I have a great heritage when it comes to gospel proclamation. Obviously, you saw him take a bold step, and that kind of wore off in you. Now, how did that lead you into ministry? Well, I had I had heard via radio, I'd heard of some teaching coming from Chicago. So I was living in a town of 200 people, more uh, cows and sheep than people, actually. And uh, Paul, I still remember my phone number. My <laughs> phone number was eight. <laughs> oh, just eight? <laughs> just eight. <laughs> <And> <laughs> it was the old switchboard operator. And um, so this was a very, very small town, a one-room schoolhouse, 30 kids. And imagine going from that small town to the heart of Chicago because I decided, hey, I want to take some Bible. I had heard of this place, never been there, but I heard of a place called Moody Bible Institute in the heart of Chicago. And I thought, I want to study the Bible for one year before I go on to med school. And really, God got a hold of my heart there. And I, at the age of 21, I found myself on the south side of Chicago in a gang-infested neighborhood where they're selling drugs on the corner. Um, actually, with a group of 18 people uh, birthing a church called New Life Community Church. That's where I want to pick up. Uh, let, tell you what, I want to take the break early here because I want to hunker in on New Life Community Church because as I was looking at what you did and how that grew, to, it's, it's not just one church right now, or at least one campus. Um, you know, I've been part of churches that are multi-campus. You're multi-campus. I mean, you, you, you got the Chicagoland pretty well covered. And, and it, it, I want to dig into that a bit more because it's not just the fact you have all these churches, but the way you guys do ministry. So, again, Mark Job is our guest right now here on Mornings with Carmen. Again, the new voice here on Faith Radio with his program, Bold Steps, heard afternoons at 2.30 Central. Hope you listen to it and hope you stay with us as we continue our conversation with Mark here on Faith Radio. Listen to Faith Radio live or on demand no matter where you go. Download the free Faith Radio app at your app store today. Well, again, if you've been starting to listen to Bold Steps here on Faith Radio in the afternoons and want to know Mark Job more, well, he's joining us now again here on uh, Mornings with Carmen here on Faith Radio. And, uh, Mark, as we were talking about your background, where you grew up, you know, spending time as a missionary kid and then coming to Chicago, going to Moody Bible Institute, and then starting a church. Now, when did you start New Life Community Church in Chicago? So I was 21 years old. Uh, the church, uh, there was a little group of 18 people on the southwest side of Chicago. There were drug dealers on the corner. And uh, this little church had not had a pastor for a couple of years. They couldn't afford a pastor, really. They could only pay $8,000. And so I was naive as a 21-year-old. <laughs> they were desperate. So naivety and desperation makes a great marriage sometimes. <laughs> And uh, so that's where I started. And, you know, I've always had a a bit of a heart for an evangelist, uh, of an evangelist. And we just started leading people to Christ. And so the most of them in the beginning were drug dealers and uh, ex-gangbangers, had a prison record. I mean, it was a pretty rough crew in the beginning. As you call them, the muddy people. 
Yeah, the muddy people, that's right. And so again, I was 21 years old, no experience. I, I actually led worship with my ovation guitar. I preached and I cleaned the church because I was the only staff person. Mm. But you know, that little church of 18 people this past Easter Sunday, uh, or past Easter weekend, we ministered to 12,000 people. So um, most of those people actually are people that have come to Christ through our ministry. So fast forward now, uh, we're one church. We meet at 27 different locations. We have 43 worship services on Sunday in four languages, English, Spanish, Mandarin, and Kichi, which is a Guatemalan dialect. Wow. We have 35 uh, pastors um, all throughout the city, different neighborhoods, different ethnicities. And um, again, very evangelistic. Uh, in the last three years, we've probably baptized, led to Christ and baptized over a thousand people. So I speak to an audience oftentimes that I'm very aware that's unchurched. Uh, you don't always catch it on the radio program, but afterwards, like this Sunday, um, at the end of the service, second service, I gave a, a clear call to salvation and about 12 people came forward, mm -hmm. tears streaming down their face. I especially appreciated Jasmine, a 23 year old young lady who had only been to church five times in her life. Her face is all tatted up, big earring, big uh, piercings all over her, her face. And she was just weeping, um, just uh, felt the love of God. And, and she said to me, I just, it, it, it touched me, it moved me. I needed to give, surrender my life to Jesus. So that's where we're at. We're in the heart of a very secular city but ministering the gospel and having fun doing it. Well, that's the thing. I mean, you are in the city. You have all these multiple campuses, and I was looking at the map. You have, uh, you have, uh, you have campuses in some of the poorest parts of town and some of the richest parts of town. It is a very um, – let me put it this way. It looks like Chicago. If I were to look at a picture of a crowd of people in Chicago, and if I were to look at a crowd of people at your church getting together – looks about the same. Yes. You, you call yourself a movement church. At least that's what I heard when I was reviewing everything. Talk yeah. about the idea of being a movement church. Yeah. You know, we call ourselves a movement church because, you know, Jesus, if you look at the book of Acts, um, Jesus set in motion uh, a movement. It's a gospel movement, a kingdom of God movement that reaches the poor, the rich, uh, the black, the white, the Hispanic, the uh, atheist, the religious. And so we view our call to make disciples. And as we make disciples, we plant and multiply communities of faith that um, bring healing and wholeness to people's lives. And so uh, we're continually, so we're here in the area of Chicago, but we've also planted overseas. And um, so we call ourselves a movement church because we continue to multiply disciples, plant churches, life-giving churches, and sometimes in neighborhoods that people are running away from. Um, we don't do a demographic study to see where a church would uh, sociologically uh, prosper the most. We look for God activity. There's a lot of fasting and prayer that goes on in our church as we discern, but we look for God activity. 
And when we sense that God is moving in an area, we've moved into neighborhoods that other people are running out because we sense, okay, God, you're opening up doors. There's God activity there. So we're going to plant in some unusual places. And we've just, again, seen just the incredible favor of God as seen, as we've seen many, many people come to Christ. And also, again, we're talking with Mark Job, who you can hear afternoons on Faith Radio on the program Bold Steps, one of our one of the newer programs here on Faith Radio. When your church does ministry, it's not just okay. We have these Bible studies. We have all. I mean, as good as those are, and those are important. You are into the lives and into the communities. For example, you have something called New Life Centers, which, again, looking at the mission statement, connecting young people and their families with Christ and community through restorative justice, safe spaces, and life-on-life relationships. Okay, I gave the, your, the uh, purpose statement or the, uh, the mission statement. What does it all mean? How is that being fleshed out in Chicago? Yeah, so, you know, uh, in 1995, there was a, a youth at our church that we had led his mother to Christ. He was, I think, about 16 years old. I hadn't seen him in a while. And I was driving down the street and I thought that I saw him. So I, I parked the car like any good pastor and I chased after him. He was with a bunch of kids that looked pretty rough. And so I think they thought I was a cop and started running. I chased him into a restaurant. His name was Freddie. He had just been shot, had his leg bandaged up. He told me he dropped out of high school, couldn't get a job. And I walked out of there saying, we need to do more for the youth of Chicago. We need to help them more. So we started. I started a, an organization called New Life Centers. It's a non-for-profit that works hand-in-hand with our church. That's grown to have, we now have 100 people on staff, primarily working with at-risk youth in neighborhoods in Chicago. So we mentor after school programming, we're first responders at uh, shootings in certain neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. During the pandemic, we fed 2.25 million people. Our church became the largest food distribution in the state of Illinois. Um, we uh, minister to, um, we're in the uh, juvenile jails, we're in the Chicago public high schools. Um, Many people have heard of the 10,000 immigrants that have arrived on the doorstep of the city of Chicago. Um, we're helping to minister to them, relocate them into housing. So we feel like our job is to help uh, at-risk people in the city of Chicago. That's given us some really open doors, some, some really interesting places. And um, some people that would argue with our theology have a hard time arguing against the works that the church is doing in neighborhoods that are difficult and tough. So uh, a very secular Chicago, oftentimes the mayor's office and so forth, and Chicago's infamous for some of its uh, politics. Politics. They're actually knocking at our door sometimes. Oh, wow. Okay, we have like one minute because I don't want to overlook the fact. Here you are. You're you're a busy guy. You, you're 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 leading quite a large congregation on multiple campuses. And then they said, "Hey, Mark, would you become the president of Moody Bible Institute?" <laughs> what? what? Where do you find the time? Yeah, you know, I have the privilege. Four and a half years ago, I stepped into leading Moody Bible Institute. That's in the heart of Chicago. It has uh, a school, radio station, aviation school in Spokane. 
uh, seminary in Michigan. And um, yeah, the, the heart of Moody is to spread the gospel. So it goes hand in hand with uh, what I'm doing as a pastor. And I told them when I stepped into this, I said, I'll say yes to this if I can continue to pastor. If I can't, then my answer is no. And they said, well, we've never had a president that was still involved in pastoral ministry, but they said yes. And so I get the privilege <laughs> of discussing deep theological truths on the campus of Moody Bible Institute and in the neighborhood, putting my arm around some tatted up uh, gang affiliated person. And as they weep, lead him to Christ. So it's a great mixture of worlds. Mm. Amazing. Well, again, thank you for uh, joining the family of Faith Radio, too, as the the voice of Bold Steps, which is afternoons. I mean, it's on a lot of other stations, too, but we're glad to have you on our Faith Radio group of stations. So, Mark, welcome to the neighborhood. Thank you. I'm so excited to be with you. Thank you for hosting me this morning. Oh, you're very welcome. Well, we'll listen to Breakpoint next. This is Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. All right, one more time around the wheel, or at least one more season, with Pat Sajak. He's been the host of the Wheel of Fortune since 1981. I remember his predecessor, um, Chuck Woolery. I'm that old, Ryan. Yes, I'm that old. So anyway, but uh, Pat Sajak says, okay, after this next season, he's 76 years old. He's had a wonderful ride, but it's time to let somebody else spin the wheel. So it's going to be sad to see him leave. He's uh, He's been an, a good host of that show. He and Vanna, it's, it's been a good long run. It's actually kind of funny seeing her host the show every now and then, too. So. Yeah, they are. They're iconic. Yeah, they're they one of the kind. They are iconic. That, you know, times they are a changing, and the way we're engaging the Bible. Well, hopefully, you're still doing that. Maybe that's why this one of the reasons you're listening to Faith Radio. You want to see Scripture. You know, you hear it preached. You uh, hear the Bible talked about, and you engage the Bible through us, as well as hopefully reading the Bible by yourself. And we do things like reading the Bible together, a new campaign coming up in a few weeks here we'll tell you about. But um, engaging the Bible, it makes a difference in your life. We want to talk about how it does that because there's people who actually research this. John Plake from the American Bible Society joins us in three minutes here on Faith Radio. Okay, you, you read the Bible, at least we, we hope you do. How is it changing your life? Because it, it will. It will. I'm Paul. This is Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. Joining me now is John Plake, who is a researcher. Actually, what is your official title, John, with the American Bible Society? My official title is kind of long. It's Chief Ministry Insights and Innovation Officer. Yeah, that is a long, it's long. <laughs> it's long. <laughs> but insights means research, and that's something you guys have been doing for a long time at the American Bible Society, along with publishing versions of the Bible and getting them out, and which is what we need to do. But again, researching why why you're researching Bibles and Bible usage and, and stuff like that. I mean, what, what what's your uh, if if somebody were to ask you that as you step into the elevator, what's your ninety second pitch? 
Well, I guess I'd tell them the American Bible Society is one of the oldest nonprofits in America. We were founded on the steps of City Hall in New York City in 1816, and we were really founded out of a research project. It was a research project that went out into the Louisiana Purchase, the Great West of the time, and it discovered that uh, where the Bible was, people were flourishing, and where the Bible wasn't available on the western frontier, which then was Ohio and St. Louis, um, there were challenges that the country was facing. So we have a long tradition of seeking to understand where there are needs for the Bible, whether it's in the United States or globally. And since 2011, we've been conducting an annual tracking study we call the State of the Bible USA. And that study just seeks to understand where people are with regard to the Bible, faith, and the church, so that we can meet them there and we can help connect their regular everyday experience with the wisdom and timeless truth that's found in God's word. Okay, so you've been doing this since 2011, you said, right? We have. Okay, what are the trends you've been seeing, especially as we come out of the pandemic? Well, you know, one of the things that we noticed, particularly in 2022, uh, was that we'd seen a rather steep decline in scripture engagement across America. People during the pandemic had turned toward the Bible, and then as the pandemic was resolving, they seemed to be turning away from scripture. But then in 2023, this year, we were really encouraged to see that there's this category of people in America we call the movable middle. You probably know people who are in the movable middle. They think the Bible's a great idea. Maybe they open it from time to time, but they're not real familiar with the story of the Bible or maybe how to find what they're looking for. I affectionately call the movable middle Bible test drivers. <laughs> okay. And, uh, you know, they're trying out the Bible. And that group has grown by 15% in one year from 65 million American adults to now 76 million American adults. And uh, I guess, I don't know, I'm not a marketer or anything, but I guess if I were, I'd call this the warm market for the Bible. This is people who are interested. They're leaning in. They're trying to find out more about Scripture and how it applies to their lives. And that's an opportunity for those of us who are Scripture engaged and consistently interacting with the Bible to reach out to them and tell them how we find hope, how we find strength, and how we find purpose through God's Word. Okay. Now, you do several chapters each year, and you're kind of releasing them on a monthly basis. We're a little behind in talking with you, John, so we need to get caught up some here. Like, you did a chapter that you, re- you released last month called Faith in Motion. It had a lot to do now with Mother's Day. You focused on moms, and I hope you can address some of the data that you didn't talk about regarding dads, but when it comes to us as parents and how our kids with our when we're engaged scripturally how does that affect our kids so can you address that i mean clearly uh, the christian faith and our relationship with god and with god through scripture and through prayer really when we talk about the bible i know i work for the bible society and i don't want in any way to downplay the important role of the bible but when people ask me hey john what's the most important thing about your spiritual life it's really one thing And that one thing is that we come to a place where we can hear God's voice in two ways, through scripture and through prayer. So if we hear God's voice by his word and by his spirit, then we're going to be spiritually healthy and vibrant. We'll actually be talking more about that next month in the chapter four release. But parents have a huge role in modeling what it is to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus in modern life. How do we interact with scripture? How do we pray? How do we allow God's word to guide and direct our lives day in and day out? 
And so the role of parents is incredibly important. One of the question that we asked regarding faith was we asked respondents, is your faith the same as your mother's was when you were 10 years old? In all honesty, uh, we ask that question because uh, we have a lot of broken homes in mm -hmm. America. And it, so we get better response rates when we ask about mother's faith than about father's faith. Okay. Many people in America don't know their dad uh, or don't have a close relationship with their dad. So moms have this really big influence on their lives. And basically what we found is about two-thirds of people say that their faith is the same as their mother's faith was, regardless of what that faith is. Uh, but there's also a lot of seeking and questing that is going on. And so one of the amazing findings was that 37% of Americans who were raised by a parent, a mother who was atheist, agnostic, or who professed no faith, 37% of those folks as adults have found a home in the church. Hmm. And uh, so that was really encouraging because I think we hear a lot about the rise of the nuns, um, that there are people who are abandoning their faith and are moving to this atheist agnostic nun kind of position. And while that's true, it's also true that people who have tried that have found that it isn't satisfactory and they're turning to God. So that is interesting. And again, Part of that, too, as we'll talk about, actually we can talk about it right now, is the fact that it has to do with engaging Scripture to a large degree. You know, it really does. Uh, people are just more spiritually healthy when they're able to consistently interact with the Bible in a way that shapes their choices and transforms their relationships with God and with other people. We call that Scripture engagement. That's uh, what researchers call the operational definition. And really that plays into this whole narrative about faith being a living thing. So being a Christian, a lot of researchers just talk about it as a label. Do you identify, self-identify as a Christian or as some other faith? But really, faith isn't a label. It's a journey. Mm -hmm. And for each of us who are followers of Christ, maybe you were raised in a Christian home like I was raised in a Christian home, but my faith isn't just an inheritance, though I value that inheritance. It's an ongoing quest to draw closer to God. Right. Okay, I got to ask this question, Jonathan, because you're doing all this, uh, all this research, John, and, and this is all interesting. How do I best apply the data? How do you help ministries apply this? Well, I think there's a tremendous amount of detail here, and one of the things we're trying to do for people who are in ministry or are just Christians trying to be an influence, a positive influence in their neighborhood, is we want to make the information available so that they can provide a defense for the Bible. Many people think the Bible is out of date, um, that it's no longer relevant, that maybe it needs to be revised, or um, we need to come up with some alternative to the Bible. But what we find, actually, is that people who are living their lives in relationship with God through Scripture are actually doing better. They're flourishing in every domain of their lives, and that's a hope that we can share with our neighbors when they struggle with forgiveness, when they struggle with how to move forward, with they, when they are facing challenges in their lives, there are answers in Scripture, and our job is to point them to those answers with, I think, a confidence that comes from the fact that it isn't just an ancient book or tradition, but it's actually a research-proven reality in America today. Mm, and you just uh, kicked on, you just uh, used a word there a few moments ago called flourishing. And I want to pick up there when we return because your next uh, chapter talks about flourishing and hope and how the Bible impacts that. And so we'll continue our conversation with John Plake, again with the American Bible Society, here on Faith Radio.
Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Well, this is Mornings with Carmen. I'm Paul. And, you know, we look at, uh, when we look at the ability of technology right now, if you miss listening to any part of Mornings with Carmen or any of our other shows, remember, you can always go back and listen to the podcasts at MyFaithRadio.com or wherever you listen to your podcast. And, of course, on the Faith Radio app as well. Maybe you want to go back and listen to our conversation here with John Plake. He's with the American Bible Society. Uh, we'll have it posted a little bit later this morning. But John joins us right now from the American Bible Society. And going through, and I didn't mention this before, people want to read the uh, the State of the Bible report that is coming out. I, John, they can go to what? Stateofthebible.org? Yep. They can go to stateofthebible.org. They can uh, download new chapters each month all the way through December. So we try to break it down into bite-sized portions. And if your listeners are interested in learning more about just how to get involved in worldwide Bible ministry, they can do that at americanbible.org. Excellent. Again, americanbible.org. You know, I recently read a report how Finland which has been consistently called the happiest country in the world, also has one of the highest rates of suicide in the world. And it just kind of makes me wonder, okay, if they're the happiest, what criteria was being used to determine happiness? And so that brings us to the part of your research on the Bible and flourishing, because that's that's a word that's used pretty widely in uh, some research circles, but variously defined. How are you defining flourishing when you're looking at the research, John? We actually turned to um, we actually turned to work that was being conducted by uh, Harvard University's T.H. Chan School of Public Health for that measure, and they developed a, a six domain measure of human flourishing. Basically, they were asking the question, what does a good life look like? And so researchers like Dr. Tyler Vanderwill and others at the Chan School of Public Health, uh, well-being researchers, not necessarily coming at this from a Christian perspective, but from an academic and psychological perspective, they identified some domains of flourishing that included um, life satisfaction and a sense of character and virtue, purpose, Uh, close social relationships, and other domains that all went together into a composite called human flourishing. And we actually picked that up out of the academic research. We decided to use it for the first time in 2020. And then afterwards, we reached out to the folks at Harvard and we said, hey, do you have national norms so we can know how our study compared to your national norms? And through our conversation, we discovered that American Bible Society had developed the first set of national norms about human flourishing through our work. Hmm. And since then, that work has been published in three different um, peer-reviewed academic journals, including JAMA Psychiatry and Public Health and the Journal of General Internal Medicine. So we're really grateful to our collaborators at Harvard University. And uh, we're grateful because not only is it a great academic way 
to study human well-being, but it looks an awful lot like what the Bible says. In John 10, 10, Jesus says, uh, Satan comes only to steal and kill and destroy, or the thief comes only to steal, kill and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it to the full or have it abundantly. So that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to look at what are valid, reliable ways to measure an abundant life. Hmm, It's interesting that they're borrowing from you when you are borrowing from them. Exactly. (laughs) So let's talk about Bible engagement and flourishing. There's one line in your uh, research I picked up on. Christians go through the same troubles as everyone else. We all have issues in our lives, but they tend to view their hardships through a different filter. How does Bible engagement and that filter help in the area of flourishing? You know, I think in modern... um in modern society, there's a sense that the only reality is my reality, uh, that everything boils down to the individual sort of alone in the world. But the Bible tells a much different story. The Bible tells us that we are people loved by God, created by God, and we're actually uh, players in a story that has a beginning and has an ending. It has a purpose, and we have callings within it. So uh, I remember teaching my daughters Ephesians uh, 2, 8 through 10. We are God's workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God cre- prepared in advance for us to do. Um, so that means we were created on purpose. Uh, we, there's something that we're supposed to do. And so we see that actually in the human flourishing data, that people who engage with scripture, they seem to pick up on that biblical worldview and they make it a part of themselves. And so they score much higher than everybody else, not only on overall human flourishing, but especially on this sense of purpose and meaning in their lives. Okay. So it really, when you have that connection with God, you know, you have a purpose in life. It changes things. Now, you in this research, you bring out three keys to flourishing and uh, how – I want to know how Bible engagement affects those, those three keys being forgiveness, which is important to us this month because here, here at Faith Radio, it's the month of forgiveness. We have resources, by the way, at MyFaithRadio.com uh, if you're working through that issue in your lives. Forgiveness is one, gratitude and purpose. So let's go through those, if we can, real quickly in the next three sure. minutes, uh, understanding how these keys of flourishing are – augmented by your Bible engagement? Well, we've been measuring things like purpose, hope, and gratitude, and forgiveness for a long time. And I'll just tell you the short version of the story is this. If you're consistently interacting with the Bible, you have statistically higher levels of all of those things than your neighbor does. That's just the way that it is. This year, though, we also looked at, well, what's the role of those characteristics in human flourishing? And what we found was that People who are able to forgive, they have significantly higher levels of flourishing overall. People who have uh, gratitude to God for the gifts that they've received, they have higher levels of flourishing. And people who understand their spiritual gifts and they know their purpose in life, much higher levels of meaning and purpose than others around them in America. Um, I think what's particularly telling is the forgiveness issue. And since you're focusing on that, let's just take a second to look at that. We asked the question, are you able to forgive um, all those who have wronged you, whether they ask you for forgiveness or not? That's kind of tough. You know, sometimes Mm -hmm. we're able to forgive people if we think they're properly penitent. Uh, But we have the model of Christ, and we actually have the model of the Lord's Prayer 
that says, all right, Lord, I forgive those who have trespassed against me. And why I do that is because you've forgiven me, even when my apology wasn't awesome, even when um, I didn't fully understand all that I had done, you were out there offering forgiveness. And so we're called as Christians to be people who are offering forgiveness to those who may have wronged us, even if they don't know it. And what happens is when we set ourselves free from the grudges and the hurts that we may have legitimately incurred in our lives, the trauma that we might really have experienced, through forgiveness, we set ourselves free and we see our levels of human flourishing go up, our well-being increases, and now we're able to help and serve others in all new ways. Mm. And let's, let's talk quickly, if you can, about the gratitude aspect. We already kind of dealt with purpose. So gratitude, focusing a bit more on that. I mean, I remember a time where I was, okay, I was going through a difficult time, uh, family separation and such, and I was just needed to find a place to live. And I was just grateful to find a, you know, it wasn't the best apartment, but just the, just having that gratitude at that time, for whatever reason, just was so freeing. You know, you're right. And gratitude leads to hope. That's what the data tells us. So uh, when people say, I thank God daily for who he is and what he's doing in my life, and I know and use my spiritual gifts to fulfill God's purposes, those are kind of expressions of gratitude and purpose. And what we see is when those things happen, their levels of hope increase. And it's a kind of hope that we measured for the first time this year, persevering hope, that says, you know what? I might not be able to change the outcome. I might be in an intractably difficult situation. And yet, if God is with me, then I know I'm going to be okay. Hmm. And that sense of groundedness and purposefulness really only comes from people who are doing what I talked about at the opening of the segment. They're hearing from God through his word and by his spirit. And when we hear God's voice, we're living our life in relationship to our maker and creator. Then we know that we can withstand the ups and downs of our lives and we can still find purpose and direction. All right. John Plate has been our guest. There's more chapters coming up this year in the state of the Bible. Uh, Report for 2023, uh, Spiritual Vitality of America's Next Month, right? That is coming up next month, and then in August, we'll take a look at Generation Z as mm. they all head back to school for yes. a new year, so it'd be great to get insights on them. That sounds good. Well, we hope to talk to you some more then, Jonathan. Thank you again for joining us here on Mornings with Carmen. Thank you, Paul. Yeah. We'll be right back. You know, it can be fun just starting up with a, con- a conversation with a with a stranger. It happened yesterday for me because I was doing a walk through a park, and uh, I was coming up to a playground area. Now, they're renovating the pra- playground. They're putting up some brand new stuff that look really, really, really cool. Now, me being in my 50s, it's like, ah, to be a kid again. But anyway, as the workers were working there and I was watching them, one looked up and I said, Okay, do you guys, after you're done with this, get to um, <clears throat> test the equipment? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, a, <laughs> that's the best part. You know, just getting people to laugh a little bit is always always a good thing. Well, I'm Paul. Thank you again for listening to Mornings with Carmen here on Faith Radio. I'm filling in this week. Carmen is on vacation. She will be back next week. Oh, and she'll be back uh, for the Day of Forgiveness coming up on Wednesday the 28th as well. I, I You know, as we were talking about forgiveness just a few moments ago, and maybe Maybe you're holding on to something and you're having a hard time forgiving. And yet you hear the promise that if I can forgive, it's like releasing that and opening ways to something bigger from God. Well, again, 
We have resources to help you, podcasts, articles, videos, all there to help you find healing and peace. So go to MyFaithRadio.com and learn more during this month of forgiveness. Well, again, I'm Paul. Thanks again for listening. Back tomorrow. Until then, blessings. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.